Jesus, thank you for that. Thank you so much, Lord, that, um, that you love us enough, Lord, to, to come down to earth, Lord, to meet us at our greatest point of need. Lord, I don't know what Mary knew. I don't know how that whole thing works out, but I can tell you she said yes, and to that, Lord, we just are so grateful. So, Lord, I pray today that we would hear what you have to say. Thank you so much for Al and the gift that you've given him that he would share with us. You're amazing, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's great to have you here. Thanks, John. Awesome. Well, good morning. Afternoon-ish. Not noon yet. It's good. Getting ready for Christmas? You guys all getting ready for Christmas? Your trees up and all that stuff? It's kind of fun. My, my wife, uh, years ago, it was about 2010, uh, my wife and I went to marriage counseling because we're married. Uh, and I would tell you that if you've been married for eight seconds, you need marriage counseling. Come on. <laughs> Come on. I'm just telling you, ma'am. It's, uh, that's what I learned. I learned a lot of things about counseling. What I realized is I'm not a counselor <laughs> because those guys are good. Man, they get to the bottom of you. But, but anyway, one of the things we learned in our marriage counseling, so we sat down and the, the counselor says to us, um, uh, we want you to get to know each other a little better. And at that time, we'd been married for 25 years, so I thought we knew each other pretty good and, and all of my sweet humility. And I'm like, you clearly knew nothing. Uh, so, so I walked in there. Anyway, we started to write down the list of the most important things to each of us, right? And so you start to write down, you know, clean house, money, whatever the things are that bug you or not bug you, intimacy, whatever. You know what my wife's? top thing on her list was Christmas lights. I was like, that is your greatest need. Yeah. It's harder than you think. I'm telling you. I, and the funny thing is, is on my, the very bottom of my list, Christmas lights. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. Go figure. Right. Anyway, so we do, we Christmas lights, I put them all up yesterday and they're all over the place. And my wife is so giddy and happy because we have Christmas lights hanging out over our house. So hopefully you're doing that uh, and, and all that stuff because it's kind of fun to do, but whatevs. Listen to this. 1905, college football was all the rage. Listen to this. It was also increasingly violent, even deadly game. In 1905, there were 18 fatalities nationwide. Three college 15 high school. President Theodore Roosevelt at the time, whose son was a freshman at Harvard University, made it clear that he wanted safety reforms amid the calls of some who were trying to abolish the sport altogether. In December of that same year, 62 schools met in New York to change the rules to make the game safer. Listen to this. Some of the rule changes were the banning of what was called the flying wedge. Yep. Listen to this. Also, the establishment of the neutral zone. And also, listen to this, a requirement that teams travel 10 yards for a first down instead of five, right? Among their biggest changes made that year was to legalize the forward pass. Up until that time, the pass was illegal. There were stringent rules behind a pass. A legal pla a pass could only be thrown outside on the line of scrimmage. In other words, it couldn't be thrown over the top of the lineman. Listen to this. An incomplete pass resulted in a 15-yard penalty. 
A pass that was thrown to somebody and never touched but dropped to the ground would immediately uh, turn into the possession exchange of the other team. In other words, if you threw an incomplete pass and didn't touch anybody, ball goes to the other guys. Crazy, right? Because of these rule changes, coaches at that time decided that the play of football, quote, was now a sissified game. Today, isn't it funny that overhand spiral is seen at every level from grade school, college, pro, high school, what doesn't matter. It's interesting that the forward pass was deemed as that which saved football. It was the forward pass that changed everything in football. I want to talk to you this morning about something that literally changed everything. I want to talk to you about what it is that happened when Jesus came to earth why Jesus came to begin with and what it was all about and why he even bothered to make a journey to do something like this. I think sometimes we, we get lost in some of the holiday. We get lost in some of the, the things that go on. And I think all of the accoutrements that we bring to Christmas are pretty awesome. But the problem is, I think we get lost in some of those little minute details. And we, we forget the big story, the real reason for Jesus coming to earth to begin with. I was driving in today, and I saw it was uh, dark outside when I came in, and th- there was a big sign passed over by my house that said, we've seen it all the time, Jesus is the reason for the season. And reading it, I was like, man, that's exactly the truth, right? But sometimes we, we, we miss it, and we turn, G- we turn Christmas into manger scenes, and wise men, and stables, and virgin birth, and all that business, and all of that stuff at some level really matters, But if we lose sight of the primary purpose of what Jesus came here to the planet to do at all, then then we kind of lose the whole message. The word gospel literally means good news. Oftentimes we get caught up so much in the the holiday or its its add-ons that we miss the good news. And we forget the whole point of this message of Christmas the bottom line message of Christmas is that we were a sinful mess, desperately in need of somebody to pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus came to do that. Amen. Let's go home. Right? Seahawks play at 1.30. By the way, I want to tell you this. Uh, there, there, we initially had Christmas Eve service plans, right? Because remember, Christmas Eve is on a Sunday to this year. And so because it's on a Sunday, we, had, we made a decision that we were going to do three candlelight services until we looked at the Seahawks schedule. And so... I may have had some influence on this, uh, but, but we're, we're, we're canceling a two o'clock service and just having two more in the afternoon, four and six. So come. It's one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, we're, it's an hour long service. We come in here, hang out, light candles, sing Christmas carols, read the Christmas story, and we pack out the house. And so we, we had planned on having a third service this year because there was lots of, there was lots of people standing around last year. So we're going to do that this year. So come and be a part of that. And we'll cram us all into two services and, and go home and watch the second half of the game. It'd be awesome. Amen? Come on. That'd be good. Jesus came. Jesus came to earth. I want to talk to you about why Jesus came to earth, but before I do that, I want to talk to you why he, why he didn't come to earth. What, what were the reason that he came? What were the, the wrong reasons that he came to earth? What are some of the wrong reasons Jesus came to earth? Jesus didn't come to earth through a virgin as a baby to simply help us get along with each other a little better. Jesus didn't come through a virgin as a baby just so that he could help us understand how to love the poor and needy. 
Jesus didn't come to earth through a virgin as a baby just so that one day we could understand how to, how to maximize social justice in a world we live in today. Let me tell you this. All of those things are so important. It's so important that we love the hurting and the broken and the needy for sure. Jesus loved the poor and the broken and the needy. I think that's one of the biggest hearts cry in his heart. And, and Jesus was aware of social justice issues and he stood for what was right to be sure. But if we relegate the good news, the gospel, the message of the Bible to social change or social uh, uh, relevant issues, then, then we've missed the message. Because Jesus wants us to get along for sure. Jesus wants us to, to help the poor and the needy. Jesus, But let me tell you this, you know who Jesus also loves? He loved the rich people as well. Jesus loved the prostitute and the Pharisee all the same. Why did Jesus love all those who were broken? He, Jesus just loved them all. God, in fact, so loved the world that he came and sent his son. Right? And you know who the world is, right? The, the people that are outside the walls in the context of church, as well as those inside. He just loves us all. You, you're here. You, you're here listening to this message. And anyone who's watching or listening to us online, Jesus loves you too. Everyone, he just loves you so much that he wanted to make a way. See, see, the bottom line is that, that in our own strength, in our own efforts, in our own attempts to try to make things right with God, we fall far short of the intended expense, if you will. We needed someone to come and pay the penalty for our sin. See, the Bible says every one of us, it says in Ezekiel 18, 4, that the soul that sins is the one who will die. Here's my question. Who qualifies for having a soul? Every one of us, right? The soul that sins. Every one of us was born in sin. We are doomed and destined to die. But the only way we could be saved from that death was there a perfect sacrificial sacrifice on our behalf. That's what Jesus came to do. That's the message of Christmas. You don't write a lot of Christmas carols about the sacrificial death of Jesus on a cross. People aren't singing that so much. <laughs> Joy to the world, the Lord has come. To die on a cross for our sin doesn't sound so well. Doesn't sing the same way, does it? Hmm. It's interesting. The divide that so many of us have is Jesus believe, that we believe that Jesus has a love for the rich or the poor. Can I tell you this? The divide in Jesus' heart has nothing to do with your socioeconomic status. He has no desire about that issue. Here's the deal. The divide in Jesus is the proud and the repentant. The divide in Jesus' mind is those who will and won't, those who will submit to his leadership and those who will hang on to their way. The, the, the divide in Jesus' heart is the truth versus the lie, the pride and the repentant. He comes to the place of saying, I've come to seek and save that which was lost. My question for us today is, is what will we do with him seeking after us? Why did Jesus come to earth? I love this. Open your Bibles, if you could, to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. I want to tell you why Jesus came to earth. Why Jesus came to begin with. Uh, we, we miss some of the message of what Jesus came to do and what this whole Christmas narrative is really all about. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, it's interesting. I, I've, never really, um, I've never really heard a Christmas sermon on Hebrews chapter 10. I, I've never preached one. I've never even seen a Christmas pageant all around Hebrews chapter 10. But, but if you'll allow me to read something to you out of your own Bibles, I'll explain to you that the, the Hebrews chapter 10 story is really the message of Christmas. It's what Jesus really, truly came to do for all of us. Paul, the writer of the book of Hebrews, writes in chapter 10, speaking of an old covenant versus a new covenant, 
An old covenant, the word covenant simply means an agreement between man and God. The old covenant was this standard of rules and religious activity that God had put in place to basically show humankind what it would require for them to have their sins covered, but never fully atoned for. In other words, the payment of, of, of goats and sheep and pigeons and doves and whatever else that the blood of that stuff would do, all it would do is literally just cover sin. Jesus, the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb laying his life down for us, wouldn't cover sin. It would literally remove it so that we could stand righteous before God. Isn't what it says. By the way, there, there were three times a year that the average Jewish person would make a trek. Imagine this. This is kind of the requirements. God was trying to show humankind. He gave them the law and said, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. They do all these things in the law, right? And you know the law was just, here's what the, the Ten Commandments and all the law was really all about. The Ten Commandments were simply this. Man coming to God and saying, God, we like you and all, but uh, is there another way we could be made righteous and not have to be in relationship? And God said, hurtfully, I'm sure, really? That's what you want? You want rules or you want relationship? And so humankind said, we want rules because then we could still play around in sin and get away with it, right? Aren't you glad you're not like them? So then humankind, God said, all right, I'll give you rules. And he gives them these rules, right? Don't, 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 don't. And he goes through the 10 commandments and the book of Leviticus and all the things that went in there, right? And the problem is, is that God's whole intention, Hebrews tells us, that the law was just simply to expose this one thing. It was supposed to God saying, don't, don't covet your neighbor's wife, don't steal, don't kill, don't murder, whatever, all the things, right? And what happens is, is the Ten Commandments were supposed to wake something up in us. Here's what it was. I can do it myself. They were supposed to wake that up. And then we were supposed to come to the end of ourselves and go, God, I'm trying to do righteous things the best I can, but I can't do them all. I need your help. That's what the Ten Commandments was all supposed to be, is to drive us back to saying, God, we were dumb. We're really dumb. We can't do it ourselves. We need you. Because left on our own devices, we'll start making stuff up, which we do. That, that's, that's Lance translated Bible. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. This old system of the law of Moses, not only a shadow of the things to come, not the reality of the good things that Christ has done for us. The sacrifices under the old system or the old covenant would be repeated again and again, year after year, but they would never be able to provide the perfect cleansing for us, for those who came to worship. If they could have provided a perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But just the opposite happened. Those yearly sacrifices reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. That's why Christ came into the world and said, You didn't want animal sacrifices and grain offerings, but you have given me a body so that I might obey you. No, you, you were not pleased with the animals of burnt on an altar or with offerings of sin. Then he said, Look, I have come to do your will, O God. Just as it is written in scriptures, Christ said, You didn't want animal sacrifices or grain offerings or animals burnt on an altar or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he added, look, I have come to do your will. 
He cancels the first covenant in order to establish the second covenant. And what God wants for us is to be made holy by the sacrifice of his own body of Jesus Christ once for all time. The message of Christmas is simply this. Jesus came to die on a cross for our sin. Amen. That's the message of the cross. It's a, it's, a, it's a message of hope. It's a message that says you can't do it by yourself. It's a message that says because you know you can't do it by yourself, there's one who paid the penalty on your behalf. Listen to this. Somewhere in England, there stands a chapel. Beside the chapel, there was an arch. Over the arch was written the words, We preach Christ crucified. For years, godly men preached there. They presented a crucified Savior as the only means of salvation. But as the generation of godly preachers passed, there arose a generation that considered the cross and its message too antiquated. So they began to preach salvation by Christ's example rather than by his blood. They didn't see the necessity of that sacrifice. Ivy kept up growing, growing up that arch, As it was spoken, it said that it covered the word crucified at the end of the day. So it was said on the the arch that we preach Christ, not Christ crucified. After some time, people began to ask why the sermons needed to be confined to Christ in the Bible. So the preachers began to give discourses on social issues, politics, philosophy. Then the ivy continued to grow until it wiped out the third word and simply reads, we preach. Hmm. The most important message of this good news that Jesus comes to seek and save that which was lost. That's the message of Christmas. Christmas trees, candy canes, all of the things that make it some sort of a cultural habit for us, which we can all love and be about. The the problem is, is if we miss the message of what Jesus came to do, then we miss it all. So why did Jesus come? To earth. Well, why did Jesus come in the first place? Let me tell you three things that Jesus did in coming to earth. His goal was to restore relationship with human beings. His goal was to restore a relationship with human beings. What I mean by that is before the sin that entered into the world, there was a relationship that God had with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. That was a, it was a righteous relationship where God would walk in the heat and the cool of the day alongside of Adam and Eve and there would be fellowship and conversation and, and what are you doing and how are you doing and what's going on and, and wonderful things that were happening in the Garden of Eden. Until one day, Adam and Eve came across that moment where there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when they were not supposed to go there and they went there and sin entered into the world. When that happened, literally God removed himself from the planet. Why would God do that? Why would he remove himself from the planet? You know why? Because he loved us. Because if he remained here, all the sin in our lives would be obliterated and we would be well no longer. God left and said, I will make a way to be made back into right relationship with human beings. I'm going to send my son to pay the penalty for their sin so one day we can be brought back together to walk together in the cool of the day once again. God's hope is is that we would be in relationship with the king of the universe. 
See, some of us read our Bibles in the morning or we have great moments of, of singing songs in our cars or wherever it is that you have these moments. And we think that, 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 that somehow that's the, that's the crux or the, the, the purpose of our relationship with God is to do religious activity, reading our Bibles and checking the boxes that said we did our devotions today, did our devotions today, did our devotions today, instead of actually building a relationship with the king of the universe. See, his hope is, is that we would have a relationship, not a religion. You see, religion is what you do without thinking. You religiously get up in the morning and turn your clock off. You get up in the morning and make a cup of coffee. We do that religiously without thinking. Religion isn't what God wants. He wants a relationship with us. Hmm. Jesus did come to save us from the fires of hell, to be sure. But if God's whole goal was just to get us to heaven once we surrender our life to Christ, then once you became a Christian, you'd go to heaven. <laughs> God wanted you as a Christian to come to know him and then to walk with him here on earth. His intention, why? John chapter 10, verse 10. He came, the devil, might, the devil, the Bible says, came to steal, kill, and destroy, but God came to give you life today, more abundant. He wants a relationship with us here on earth as well. He, he, he came to restore the relationship with human beings. Amen. That's his hope, is that we would be a relationship with him. See, see, some of us have this scale in our mind, and we're like, if I can put enough good beans on one side, then hopefully my good activity will somehow outweigh my crazy decisions. And so we're hoping that one day when we get before God, he's going to say, wow, you've tipped the scale in your favor. Good for you. Enter into your rest. Can I tell you, that's not how it works. He's going to see all your good beans on one side, and he's going to see his blood, and he's going to go um, this way. <laughs> he's going to say, my blood weighs more than any good beans you put on that side of the scale. Because your righteousness, the Bible, Paul says, is like what? Like filthy rags. In other words, we can't do enough to restore the relationship. We have to trust in him. Hmm. So why in, the world does an, why in the world does an omnipotent, supreme God long for relationship with human beings? I don't know. But he does. Listen to this, Ephesians chapter 1. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his family, bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. God just simply desires a relationship with you. He desires to be in relationship with every one of us. Every one of us is a different size and shape and we have a different motives and passions. I just love the creativity of God and how he loves you because you're you. And he loves me because I'm me. And God's intention was to have a personal relationship with every one of us. I love that. And somehow he wants us all to be together and collectively we live together as the bride of Christ. And I don't know how that works, but he is the good groom who loves his bride. And, and, and all of that stuff is amazing to me. That he so loved us in our crazy, sinful selves that he made a way for us to have salvation, to restore the relationship. You know what else happened when Jesus came to earth? Not only did he, did he have a plan to restore our relationship, but listen to this. God wanted to restore creation. He wanted to restore the planet. But listen to this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 says this. And to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife. I'll just stop right there. <laughs> Sorry. Polly's not here today. It was too easy. All right. Uh, because you listened to your wife. And you ate the fruit that I told you not to eat. 
I have placed a curse on the ground. All of your life you will struggle and scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. All your life you will sweat to produce fruit until your dying day, and you will return to the ground from which you came. For you were made from dust, and dust you will return. Can I tell you this is so amazing to me? Is that, do you realize that God literally wants it? Did you know that when sin came into the earth, that that's when thorns and thistles came on the scene? That, that's when I think earthquakes and famine, all that stuff happened. That, that's when all of the, the crazy weather patterns all started. I think it all happened back then. But Jesus came so that, that all creation could be brought back into its proper order and the lion could lay down with the lamb and then not try to kill each other. It, like there's something about that. I, I don't know how that works. But could you imagine like that was what God intended all along? God's desire in sending Jesus was to restore creation. Restore it back to its right, righteous place. Do you know that that's what he did, right? He sent his son Jesus so that it would all be restored. He paid the way. And we're eagerly waiting in this moment. Listen to what it says in Romans. It says, For God's creation is waiting eagerly for that day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, everything on earth was subject to God's curse. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from the death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning in the pain of childbirth right up to this present time. And even we Christians, listen to this, even we Christians, although we have the Holy Spirit as a foretaste of future glory, also groan to be released from the pain and suffering. We too wait anxiously for that day when God will give us his full, our full rights as his children, including the new bodies that he's promised us. You know what that shows me? Is that God wants to restore even creation. I love this. Here's what it shows me. That God doesn't have a plan B. God has a restored plan A. You know what that tells me? Is that maybe you think that your life is relegated to plan B. You think your life has just made so many mistake after mistake and somehow you have to just, well, deal with it and now you got to live with plan B. <laughs> Let me tell you something. God has a way. I don't know how he does it, but God has a way if you'll allow him to restore plan A for you. You might have thought my marriage is just an absolute train wreck. If you get counsel and you spend time and you watch God, let me tell you, he can restore plan A. I don't know how he does it, but he is able to. The real question is, is will we allow him to bring plan A to our lives? Or will we just throw our hands up and say like, yeah, well, I've made too much of a mess of this. Even God of the universe can't change it. That's where a lot of us kind of land. The message of Christmas is that God wants to restore relationship with humans. That God wants to restore the planet. I love that. He wants to do that. God's, God, God's about restoring the planet and bringing it back to the place that it was intended. There's another reason that God came to earth in Jesus. Not only was it to restore relationship and to restore the planet, listen to this. He came to restore hope in the heart of human beings. He came to restore hope. You know, the Bible I said earlier in John 10.10 says, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, that's what the devil's plan is, is to steal, kill, and destroy. I think it's interesting. Uh, Killing and destroying, we, we can't really do much about that. Let me tell you, there's a lot of things that we can do as human beings. We can restore an old car. We can repaint a house. We can even get money that we lost. But we, we can uh, even restore a relationship that was broken, perhaps. But can I tell you there's one thing that we can't ever get back? 
that the devil steals from every one of us every single day? He comes, man, he's like a thief. The Bible says he comes like a thief in the night to steal from us. What is the one thing the devil can steal from us that we'll never be able to recreate or get back? One thing, time. He wants to steal your time. He wants to steal it one minute second at a time. Some of us get our, our, our lives and we start hanging off onto a left and turn and we get down some crazy road somewhere 20 years into it and we're like, how did I end up here? And we realize that the devil has distracted us for that long and got us so far off the beaten path that we actually feel like, well, I guess I'm too far gone. The devil wants to, st- he wants to distract you one moment at a time with your, your phone. He wants to get you distracted one moment at a time with the TV or with an inappropriate relationship. He just wants to get you off course. If he can get you off course for one second, that's one second you're not living for God. And that's his plan. Every single second he gets us off course, I know he's, he's just laughing going, look at that guy. He was created in your image, God. He looks like you. He's created like you. But you know what? He ain't walking like you. He's a walking mockery of you. So that's what the devil does. And, and he gets you to thinking that it's all her fault. And then it's all his fault. And it was all their fault. And, and then what happens is, is we literally start to, to, to pitch all of the, the rocks we can everywhere else at our, our old past and our this and our that. And, and let me tell you this, the devil wants to steal everything he can from us. But here's the good news. The good news, Jesus coming to earth can actually get this, restore lost time. I don't know how, but he's able to restore lost time. Uh, here's an example. I, um, I, I was raised in a family where we had our own problems. And I can tell you the relationship I had with my biological father and my stepfather, weird. Just weird. Painful, hurtful, mistrusts. Uh, just all, you can you name it, it happened. I mean, it's crazy things that happen to me as a kid. And I remember, I remember being a young adult, newly married, knowing that one day we wanted to have kids. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't know how to be a dad. I don't know how to do this right. And, and I remember thinking, God, how, how am I, all I'm going to do is perpetuate the same crazy attitude that I was raised with because I don't know how to do it right. And I remember the Lord saying, Lance, I'll show you how to be a dad if you'll stay in my word and connected to people who've done the dad thing more than you. And so I was like, all right, I'm staying in church and I'm going to read my Bible. And he said, oh, the one other thing, get some good counsel. And so, so here's what I decided to do. I decided that if God was going to restore the heart of a father in me, then I was going to, uh, one, we were going to start having babies and God was going to show me his heart in that. And then I was going to get some wise counsel. And I remember talking to people who were good dads and talking to people who had done the, the father thing better than me. Because I remember I would stand up in front of church and, or I would, I'd be at church and I would hear somebody, a well-meaning person say, doesn't it good to be up on the lap of God? <laughs> and I would always cringe because I thought, I don't want to sit on the lap of a father like that. Because I don't know, my relationship with my dad was so weird. And so what happened was that I remember, I remember my kids coming and giving me a gift for Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever. And they would give me the little turkey hand. Remember, you know, the little turkey. And I remember thinking like they would hand a little turkey hand to me at Thanksgiving. And, and I remember looking at it and, and they were so proud of the turkey hand. It had a red feather and a yellow feather. And a green. it was just like, and look at the turkey hand, dad. And I remember looking right through the, the feathers of the turkey, right to their little faces. And I remember thinking to myself, um, I don't really care about the turkey so much as I really love looking at your face. I just love looking at your face. And right about then, the guy would say, that's kind of how I feel about you. I don't really care about your turkey, Lance. It's you I like. 
And I remember God just restoring one step at a time. And there would be times when my kids would make a mistake and they would, they would cross some line and they would come back to me and they'd be crying and they'd be like, Dad, you forgive me? And I'd say, I'd say, yes, I forgive you. But inside I was like, of course I forgive you. And the guy would say, that's how I am towards you. I'll forgive you a million times if you just ask me. And so like over and over, God began to restore and put a deposit of a father inside my heart. All the while I was getting counsel from people who, who had been better fathers than I'd ever seen before. And you know what happened? God restored what the enemy had taken from me. You know what happened? It was Joel chapter 2. The book of Joel chapter 2 says this, I will restore the years that the locusts have stolen from you. Let me go on a little further. Look, it says in Joel chapter 18, a little before that, it says, the Lord became jealous for this land, had pity on his people. And God said, behold, I am sending you grain and wine and you will be satisfied. Oh, I love this. God began to restore. He restored the heart of a father in me. Now, I don't know how he did it, but I'm telling you, it's, a, it's amazing when my kids hear stories of my childhood. They're like, dad, how, I don't, how, what? you know, I'm thinking, God, that's why I know God still does miracles. I mean, it's kind of funny, but sometimes people in American church, they hear stories that stuff happens over in third world nations about sick people being healed and broken things happening, blind eyes seeing. I'm telling you, I had a physical, brand new heart of a father put in my chest. It was a real life miracle because there's no good reason it should be there. God restored what the devil had stolen. He can do the same for you. And also, look at this. Here's another place that the devil tried stealing from me that I know God began to restore. Polly and I, my wife, we've been married for 28 years, right? Hallelujah. Let me tell you what happens in 28 years. A lot of really, really good things. Some not so good, right? Because it's hard. You put two people in this, don't look at me like that. You guys looking at me, right? Every one of us, right? It's hard living under the same roof and the same zip code with another human being. Come on. Someone say, you know it, right? Sometimes I'm telling you, right? You're right. So that's, that's why we went into counseling. It was awesome. But, but I'm telling you this. There's, there, there, were divi- there were points in our marriage when it was like, I don't know how we're going to make it through this thing. And if you've, been, if you've been married for a short period, of, if you've ever been married for a long period of time, you know what I'm talking about. I don't know how we're going to get through this thing. And the Lord said to her and I both, in the midst of our counseling, in the midst of our time, if you'll trust me, if you'll pursue me, if you'll believe with the words written in my Bible, I'll not only restore your marriage, but I'll make it better than ever. The other night, Polly and I were sitting in our living room. We had our fire go- fireplace going, and Polly's hanging on to our little grandbaby. And she looked across the room and she said, Lance, I have never been happier in my marriage than I am right now. 28 years. I looked at her, I was like, I couldn't say it better. How is that possible when there were times in our life when we were just like at at our wit's end? When the devil wanted to take away from, because God still does miracles. God wanted to restore relationship with us. He wanted to restore the planet and he wanted to redeem your hope. You see, maybe you're here today and you're at that place of lost hope. You're at that place when you're like, I don't know what to do. I'm here to tell you, it's for real. I'm a living, breathing, walking testimony of God's ability to do miracles today. And so can you. I know when I look at your eyes right now, I know that there are people here today who feel like they have lost hope and that there's no good reason that God would still love them. And there's no good reason God wants a relationship. I'm here to tell you today, that is a big fat lie. He wants a relationship with you. And he wants to restore your hope. 
To some, he wants to give the heart of a dad or the heart of a mom. To one, he wants to, 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 to redeem all of those years that were stolen from you as a child. If you'll trust him and allow him to come in and redeem that. Come on. That, my friends, is the message of Christmas. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. That's the message of Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, this morning there are men and women who sit in this room right now, boys and girls. God, there are people here today who don't have a relationship with you. Lord, they're sitting in this room and they they don't have a relationship with you. They they have a knowledge of you perhaps, but they don't have a relationship and their their lives have have been turned into a a set of rules and duties that somehow they think if they do them long enough, you'll be happy with them. God, today, will you just set that person at ease and let them know that you already paid the penalty. Simply a matter of us saying, God, I need you. And maybe you're here right now and you're at that place realizing that you need this Savior. You need Jesus to heal those broken places in your life and to give you a hope that you thought you could never have. Maybe to heal your marriage, maybe to restore what was stolen as a child. I want you right now to just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. And just as the book of Romans said, that the world is eagerly waiting for your, 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 your to, to reveal to you the world our true nature as the sons and daughters of God. Lord, that every one of us is waiting for that moment. I pray that, God, that we would be able to surrender our lives completely to you. Have you been a Christian before? And you've walked with God, but just as the Bible said in the book of Revelation, when he says, I stand at the door and knock, you have the door of your heart shut tight. You remember walking with Jesus. You remember the supple nature of your heart being yielded to him, but life happened. That person hurt you. And you decided to make your own way. If that's you this morning, I want you to just say, Jesus, forgive me for coming up with my own rules or believing what the world says is okay. Forgive me, God. Save my, save me. You don't need to get resaved if you're a Christian, but you just you need to get realigned. You just say, Jesus, I give my life back to you. I open the door and let you come in again. Heal me, God. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. 1905. Not only were there 15 fatalities. But between 1900 and 1905, there were 45 football players that died from internal injuries, broken necks, concussions, and broken backs. It was the invention of the forward pass that changed the game today that we love so much. It was Jesus coming to earth to pay the penalty for our sin that made us have a way that changed everything. If you'll allow him to be the Lord and master of your life, he'll change you. Amen? Amen. I'm glad you're here. 
Listen, over this next couple of weeks, next week we're going to have our, our kids uh, come and have this great presentation. I'm telling you, they've worked hard. Stephanie and Phil and their team, let me tell you this, they, they've written a play that's called, this changes everything, right? Because Jesus, what he did came to earth to change everything. Next week there's going to be a message that's going to be spoken to the heart of little people and singing songs. And I'm telling you, bring someone that has, it's just a little bit of a twist on the gospel message, but it's a good one. I watched it on Friday night in one of their dress rehearsals. It's amazing. So come this next Sunday. And then the Sunday after that, come and light a couple candles. We'll enjoy our time together and watch the second half of the game. Amen. And then keep coming after that. There you go. <laughs> Why do you stand to your feet? God bless you. Be encouraged today. I hope you are. Have a great afternoon. Give someone a hug before you leave. Bless you. Okay.